for Thursday, April 30th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, when it comes to telling future generations about the coronavirus pandemic, some historians want to make sure the stories and experiences of everyday people are front and center. Museums are interested in their stories because people's behavior coming out of this is what's going to change the society. It's not going to be the laws and regulations. It's how people react to it. Sheffield Hale, president and CEO of the Atlanta History Center, joins me to discuss how his organization is collecting those stories. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. How do you know when you're living through history? It certainly feels like a strange and novel time, but will future generations see it that way? Well, the folks at the Atlanta History Center feel pretty certain that the historians of the future will be curious about life during these pandemic times. They want to make sure there's a body of stories, pictures, documents, and artifacts for those future historians to look through. That's the goal of their project, Corona Collective. Sheffield Hale is president and CEO of the Atlanta History Center, and he joins me now for more. Sheffield, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Sure, I'm excited to be here with you. We are talking today because the Atlanta History Center has launched this project to try to document this very strange time that we're all going through um, called Corona Collective. Talk to me a little bit about the project and and where the idea came from. 9-11 was probably one of the first times we started seeing people do this and and, and museums collecting in time, in real time, because museums had traditionally come after the fact and, and it was sort of not deemed to be, how would we know what would be an uh, um, item of interest in 30 or 40 years, you know, in the moment? Well, sort of that's the point, is to, to collect now so that in 30 or 40 years they'll have what they need and they can decide what's important. You mentioned 9-11 as, as being one of these events that seemed big enough at the time that museums started doing this. That makes me wonder about what what makes a moment kind of rise to meet that threshold of something that we think people in the future might might want to look back on. What is that kind of threshold? And, and how did you and the folks at the History Center know when it, when it had been met here? Anytime you have an event that causes people to change their behavior in a radical way, it becomes an opportunity to, to find out, you know, how people react. You know, there's going to be a lot of behavior change that comes out of this, just like there was out of 9-11. 
you know, why, why is that? What, what happened at the time? How did people feel? And then what is the long-term impact of that? And this is a perfect time to do it because people are at home. They're sequestered. They have the time to think. It's one of those moments it's, it sort of seems clear. On the other side of that, there are many, many things that are probably more mundane that happen every day that in 100 years I wish they had information for them. So um, you can't do it all, but you can, you can try to guess the best you can as to what you think um, some future generation might be interested in. And talk to me about how this project has been going uh, so far. Have you been receiving a lot of submissions? And, and what have those submissions been like? They're all over the board. We've got over um, 120 people have sent in separate submissions of probably 300 total different submissions so far. It's everything from some of the most poignant stories of people having to talk to their parents, uh, both of whom died um, remotely um, before they died, and what that experience was like. We have submissions from high school students that uh, talk about their experience being in quarantine and how irritating it is to be with their parents. It's all, all of the above. And then we get the th- opportunity to get three-dimensional materials once they come out of quarantine. And I suppose so soon we'll get some Purell and some masks. And I suspect this year we'll see a lot of social distancing Christmas cards, for example. That seems like the kind of item that in a normal time, a Christmas card maybe seems so so mundane. But But you're of the opinion that in this very different time that we're in, maybe it's not. Right. And, and what we we just don't know what behavioral change is going to, you know, people will maybe making fun of the situation or other people will be, you know, dramatically changed. They've had deaths. And so anything from a Christmas card uh, reflecting how a, a family dealt with it at the time um, to, uh, you know, collection of uh of Zoom church services. All these things will be interesting and relevant, and particularly in 100 years when somebody looks back and says, oh, now I see how this aspect of society began to change. Maybe that was one of the impetuses of X, Y, or Z. As this project goes on, is there any kind of determination made about whether to accept certain items or not? And and how are those decisions made? We have a committee that... um, that is in charge of accepting uh, collections, and uh, it has to get through the committee. Now, in this case, criteria will be broader, and they will have to redefine what their criteria are because the whole point of this is that we don't necessarily know what we should take. Obviously, there's a limit in terms of the amount that we can take, and so that might be a... But we have a lot of room right now in storage, and I think we're going to err on over-collecting as opposed to under-collecting because we just don't know. It's, you know, collecting in the present like trying to predict the future. You can't do it because you don't know what's going to be relevant. I wonder, are you reaching out to communities or individuals who might not necessarily be the best represented, the loudest? I mean, I think that this kind of project favors people who think that they have a story that's worth remembering. Um, how are you reaching out to maybe those people who, who might not immediately think that their story is valuable? Sure. We have a, a neighborhood initiative, for example, in Atlanta, where we do exactly that. It's where we reach out to um, groups and neighborhoods and try to get them to think about what's relevant to them as opposed to just waiting for somebody to send something in over the transom. Uh, you do have to solicit, say, in areas that are traditionally underrepresented in your museum who would have incredibly poignant stories that you want to capture. 
And then you also rely on people in those communities to um, reach out to other people in those communities that about stories that they know about. It's not scientific. It's it's different from a lot of ways. You know, museums used, used to like to sit around and wait for people to send something in or maybe buy something at auction if they had the funds. Um, this is something new for museums um, to collect in the moment. And so uh, we're flexing our muscle and trying to figure out how to do it. This isn't the first time that we have had uh, a pandemic. There's been a lot of attention paid to the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. What kind of record do we do we have of that? And does the kind of record we have of that worldwide event um, change how y'all are thinking about collecting things now? It's clear when we started looking at our collections that it was very thin on the 1918 pandemic. Now, our, our institution wasn't founded until 1926, and that may account for part of that. But it's also that people at the time didn't view current events as, as necessarily worth collecting. Um, they were thinking back, back to the Revolution or to the Civil War or to the, the founding of the city of Atlanta. And so something that happened in 1918 just, you know, wouldn't necessarily have risen to the top. It's also a lot of people were trying to forget that event at that time and, and move on. And so you have, you have a lot of that. And then, of course, you have the issue there. They probably destroyed a lot of the items from the flu period because of fear of contamination. It's interesting you mentioned that maybe 100 years or so ago, people weren't so interested um, in collecting their own stories. They maybe didn't think their stories were important. Um, I wonder what you think about our current time, where it certainly seems like social media has maybe uh, changed the paradigm when it comes to uh, people feeling their own stories are, are worth sharing and, and, and valuable. Does people's comfort with sharing stuff about themselves on social media platforms change the kind of work that y'all are doing and, and, and how you do it? It does. I mean, one of the, the issues going to be for, in 100 years is there going to be a whole lot of information theoretically. Um, and who knows what's, what's going to happen to all the Facebook um, posts in 100 years. Um, they will provide an additional record that it will be could be quite extensive. Um, one of the benefits of what we're doing is we're actually going to be cataloging it for them now. <laughs> and so they will have a pre-cataloged material. And then who knows what kind of um, information that people are oversharing on the internet <laughs> will be available. So it should be a treasure trove. Really, the, if, you, if you think about it, the only thing that's a permanent record is a piece of paper that's printed out and put, it in, a, put in a file. The internet is all subject to vanishing overnight. So there is something to be said for multiple layers of collecting um, because you just don't know what the future holds. I think maybe the the general conception of, of what makes it into a museum is maybe a found object. If you're asking people to collect their stories in the moment for, quote unquote, history <laughs> in the future, um, does that kind of awareness that maybe people are creating history or writing down the record at the time change the kind of stories and items that you're going to get? Well, I think it can. I mean, think the the closest thing in the past has been if you think about it, of a time capsule. So you you will get some of that kind of intentionality from people saying, "Oh, well, what I want to be remembered for is this." The other piece that I think is valuable is for people to stop and say, "Wow, what is going on now?" and think about their lives and how it might have changed and reflect on that in the moment. That's what we want to capture is that thought in the moment as opposed to, you know, 50 years later when somebody's looking back with 
through rose-colored glasses saying, oh, well, that, that was a terrible time, but we, we survived and triumphed, and look how we are today. Well, maybe that's not what they were thinking about at the time. So it's, it's, it's all good, and then historians have to sort through the motivations, the validity. Um, we're going to have, have plenty of things for them to uh, sink their teeth into. What, what responsibility do you feel to history, to the people submitting this work, um, to make sure that you're kind of a, a fair arbiter of this time that we're going through? Because, you know, the, the, the committee that y'all have to kind of sort through and decide what to keep and what to not keep, that's, that's a lot of power to have. It is, and it, but it, it's, it's why we're here is to have some sort of um, way of, you know, of, of discerning, you know, this from that. Like, I think we're going to be over um, collecting at this point. You know, I think that's good. Um, I think we're going to have to learn how to over collect and how to and how to not judge every item because we do not know what is uh, going to be that wonderful gem in the future that will really help explain this age because we're part of it ourselves. And uh, and that's the, that's the beauty of it. And I think that, um, you know, in terms of reaching out to people who've underrepresented in museums, this is their time. This museums are interested in their stories. It's not just the stories of the people in the um, in the government or the people in power. It's it's everybody's story because people's behavior coming out of this is what's going to change the society. It's not going to be the laws and regulations. It's how people react to it. That is how this economy will ch you know be changed. That's how the social mores will change. It'll be by individual people and how they react. Yeah, and it's it's I don't know. It just uh, it just seems also like a like such a challenging job because how do we know what this will look like in the future, right? It's like how do you how do you create history in the moment? <laughs> right, that's true. But that's that's why you say let's err on overcollecting, and let's see what happens. And uh, obviously, we're not going to fill up our museum with uh, ten thousand masks, but, but you can have a uh, assortment and a variety of those, um, and they. As long as they tell a story, and that's the, the key thing, is to get objects that tell a story. And the story behind it makes the object even more powerful. You know, museums really are focused on getting the story of the entire society. That's what's so great about the Internet. F Facebook has trained a lot of people to be, to collect and to be historians in some sense. Um, and then it's really for the, but it's for the historians to sort through it later and figure out, what went on, and then to resort it a hundred years hence, and to say, well, that first group of people got it all wrong. So who knows in the future? Um, we're just doing our part. Other museums around the country are doing the same thing, and uh, and it's also given people the opportunity to participate in in history and understand how they're a part of history, and hopefully that will cause them to have more interest in history and understand it's not about somebody else; it's about them and it's about today. Sheffield Hale is president and CEO of the Atlanta History Center. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us with questions, comments, or controversy at washyourhands@wabe.org. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at S. Claude Whitehead. 
You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.